Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Stolen Signs podcast. I'm Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis. Uh, hello, Harry. Hello, Kendall. It's pitching week. Yes. At Baseball Prospectus. One of my favorite weeks of the year. Yes. So we today we're going to be talking about um, the Robo Strike Zone mm-hmm. uh, and robot umpires and all of that. Um, we've got quite a panel. Coming we have up. all the authors, all the and, authors, and, and our and staff psychologist, and our staff psychologist Sydney Friedman. Um, <laughs> so and yeah. uh, <laughs> we've got Jeff Long, Wayne Boyle, and Sean O'Rourke who co-authored with you uh, the <laughs> Robo Ump thing, and then we've got uh, Russell Carlton as well. Yeah, and, and Wayne is a was a guest for a writer. He Wayne is. Uh, Wayne's the guy who got into the stuff because his kid's a college pitcher, as he kind of quickly mentions on the show. Um, but he is a, uh, you know, he'll tell you about it. But basically, he's a guy who has like 30 years of experience with, with these types of technologies and has lots of really insights to it and got into it because he was looking at TrackMan data to help his son. So he has a business now where he helps college and pro teams visualize, work, and manage their pitching data, which is, you know, great we're like i guess in a way we're competitor technically right now he produces yeah well he produces the interface we do data we do data quality stuff so there's kind of a, a puzzle piece connecting between us but we also had a pretty similar philosophy on these things it turns out so it ended up being a really fun thing he did pretty much all the writing jeff did the editing and i kind of just did some of the analytical sides to it so hopefully people will read it it's a pretty interesting article um there's a lot of stuff in there that we didn't really get to so that's why we had everybody come on the show so we, we dive in deeper and we also cover some things that probably weren't in the article at all so yeah it was cool to get a lot of different points of view i thought that was a, a really um cool like uh addendum kind of to the the article so yeah um so we will be talking about that but there's other stuff that we did this week um and when i say we i mean other people at BP um, uh, for pitching week. Um, one of which uh, was the uh, new pitch tunnels information. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, so was tunnels was our first show, our first episode. Yes, right. Was it was like I think yeah it was a was it really yeah it was. Yeah, it so was. we talked about pitch tunnels and. Now this is the update, which I guess we probably talked about then, which was going to be from the hitter's point of view. So it's really neat. We, we, we did kind of a little perspective math, something called the transformation matrix, which I guess that's what I learned recently, um, to create a batter's eye view of the pitch and use that same uh, process to calculate or estimate the perceived, what we hope is close to the perceived difference between two pitches and we made a few changes to what metrics we present we, we changed how we choose the tunneling point to be based on a time based on some research around how long people have before making a swing decision at what point they don't get to use any more information in making their swing which we talked about last episode a little bit yep and then we took the, all that and put it into shiny which is for people who don't do programming in R, Shiny is a basically a web interface, a web app way to explore data apps. So we created a tool 
where you can go and pick any pitcher and any batter he faced in, in 2017, just last season, and see from that hitter's point of view the pitches uh, from any at-bat. And it's kind of cool because it it's lets you really cool. get a concept of what, what that's like. As from a, you know, It really does kind of tell you something. So, yeah, it's that's really, really, it's really fun. Cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a fun tool. Um, and uh, hats off to everybody who worked on it. Um, Martin Alonso. Yeah, Martin Alonso, Harry, Jeff. Um, I know Rob did some stuff yeah, to set Rob, up the server. McHugh, Rob McEwen. Yeah. So, um, it's really cool. Um, we'll link it up as well in the show notes, but it's something fun to check out. And, uh, just to see it's it's really crazy i was talking with somebody about it today and um just the the ability to sit there and and see it it's basically you can kind of see an at-bat pitch by pitch and in what how the at-bat kind of progresses or um you know what the yeah. the hitter might see and it's like when you look at it it's really interesting to see like oh he's you know he's starting him out here with a fastball and then he goes to this and then he goes to that and so there's like pitch sequencing it, it makes like a scatter plot of pitch locations yeah to tell you about what a sequencing and how the guy was working like seemed really lame because seeing the path is paths of right. the pitch and seeing where they were at the decision point the last point where you can make a decision against the, the proper perspective of a field and you know it's a little weird because we assume you don't move your eye like you're so it gets a little like ext- may seem extreme in some points on the on the outside or really high but that's okay i think that actually helps drive home the like whoa that pitch is right at your head um experience or that you know brad ziegler really is coming off the ground at me Right. And that's freakish. Or Clayton Kershaw straight over the top, and that's really weird. And we have a little thing to fix. There should be an arm angle indicator at Lensner Axis, but we, we managed to somehow forget that. We'll put that back. Um, but it's really neat. It's still in beta, but um, we hope people will like that. And we have we had some more stuff too about pitch pitcher rating and scoring. But let's talk about that after the uh, robots. Let's let let's let the uh, all right. Let's let our let let's the robots let our panel. talk. Bring right. out the robots. So we will bring out the robots. Um, uh, but before that, I want to say we are on iTunes. Rate, review us on iTunes. Subscribe, all that good stuff. We're also on Twitter, uh, at stolen underscore signs on Twitter. We have email address, stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. If you have any questions, thoughts, feedback, anything like that, hit us up uh, any of those places. That'd be great. And um, we'll be back to talk with Jeff and Russell and Wayne and Sean and Harry and I are there too. So stick around. All right, everybody, we are here with Jeff Long, Russell Carlton, Wayne Boyle, Sean O'Rourke, 
and Harry Pavlidis, and they recently wrote an article together on Baseball Prospectus um, called Robo Strike Zone. It's not as simple as you think. So, Harry, do you want to give a brief introduction um, yeah. about what you just talked about? Uh, te- yeah, technically, Russell was not an author on that. He's ah. actually our, 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 uh, our therapist because it was very challenging to work together. Okay, so basically, we've been talking about strike zones and robots a lot. And uh, Wayne pitched Jeff an article, I think is how this started. And uh, Wayne has a very cool product called Pitch Grader. And he works with college teams and pro teams and is, spends a lot of time inside data and had very similar notions to the stuff that we've talked about around BP and on this broadcast and other outlets about don't jump the gun on the, the robo-ump thing. You know, just because we see the strike, the K-Zone on TV uh, and you hate Joe West it doesn't mean the technology is ready. So, you know, I think we'll probably, you know, have to figure out the best way to say this, but uh, we we tried in the article to shift the conversation away from robo-ums now to a more nuanced discussion. And we may have succeeded and or failed in varying shades at different levels. So, um, I, I think really there's probably a bunch of things to talk about in terms of what the technology is doing and what, what we think may happen to the baseball game. Um, but I think probably where we should start are, are like just some of the nitty gritty realities about what strike zones are, are like. And I don't know if most of this made this into the article, Wayne, but you, you've, you wrote a lot of stuff about what is a strike zone. <laughs> and and this this kind of you know it's not even it's it's a very it's very hard question you know, so even before we say what's what are the impacts of changing the strike zone I think the first question is what is the strike zone yeah that that was something when I started pitch grader I had not been involved with baseball at all I only started actually to make pitch grader to help my son when he started at DBU and one of the first things I learned was that well the strike zone is really not really defined it may seem that way but it's not. And that seems to be a very fundamental thing. And from having been in uh, design, uh, hardware design and software design for about 30 years, including RF and radios, uh, I'm cle- clearly aware of uh, the limitations of hardware and software. So the first thing I set out to do with what we did with uh, our program was to find out if our data matches what we see, what really happened. And it seemed to me that no one was really looking at that. They were just taking uh, the machines reading as, you know, as gospel and that's, that's it and not questioning it. And I just thought it would ruin the game if machines were calling balls and strikes and they weren't any more fair than an umpire would be, you know? So, so you're kind of talking about the lack of ground truth that this whole notion that this unreliable human would be replaced with this reliable system. Yeah, I just think it's not true because you no one could say. Some of the comments in the article section were uh, arguing for umpires and they would be much more accurate if they were machines. And I kept responding to people saying, well, how do you know that? Yeah. You know, and, and we're, I mean, we're, we're all into baseball and what goes on with it, but at heart, we're looking for truths. And until you can prove it, I, I can't say for sure, you know? So with the, the strike zone, like as we're talking about, um, we have the technology um, piece that I think we're going to talk about, but the strike zone as it exists right now, I know you guys talked about in the piece a little bit, 
kind of the rule, the definition. Um, does somebody want to maybe Jeff, can you speak to that as to like what the actual rules in the rule book say the strike zone is? Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of complicated, uh, but the rules are super vague, which I think causes a lot of the issue. Um, so when we talk about the top of a strike zone, um, there's not, it's not like the top of the strike zone is at the letters or the top of the strike zone is at, you know, the shoulders. It's the top of the strike zone is the halfway point between, and I think it's, you know, the letters and the shoulder or something. I but, think it's okay, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the kind of point is, um, same thing goes on at the knees, right? It's uh, not a fixed point on the batter's body. It's, a, you know, a distance. Um, and I think the hard part is you're asking umpires to sort of, A, judge like halfway between two body parts that are in motion half the time, and B, do it while watching a you know 95-mile-an-hour projectile flying towards them and determine whether or not it crossed that line. Um, and so that's, I think, one of the things that we talked a lot about. And to Wayne's point, one of the questions or things that people like to say is, you know, well, the machines are 99% accurate, so like that's better than a human. And it's like, well, how, like... 99% accurate in terms of what, you know, yeah. where the ball goes, maybe, but does that correlate they, to the lines on the, where the strike zone is supposed to be? Or where right, the yeah, the, the machines are a hundred percent reliable at telling you where it thought it went the ball, the ball went, you know, <laughs> uh, and that's going to be most of the time, like super close to where the action that's the, this is the, probably the most important thing about all this. People are like, uh, this this one specific comment sticks in my mind about you know I think it may have been a tweet or I forget but it was that you're you're naive about lasers if you don't think this could be done I'm like okay let's you know that's a, that raised something I'm like this is um, not a plane being like a a, light, a plane of light being broken by the ball the the crossing of home plate is not observed it, it's 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 an it's a really well done estimate of the ball's trajectory based on some early capture of it. Well, I so, think, I, I think so you, so that's one of the, the most important thing here is that you have to ground truth that. And that's what Wayne's talking about. It's like, you have to, you have to go and check that. It's like, just because the machine's saying that's where it crossed. It's like, that's almost certainly wrong. It's almost certainly off by an inch or two every single time with the, with those radar based systems that we had this year. And that's basically the goal is to have the stuff with an inch, within an inch or an inch and a half in you know, either direction correct with these machines if they're doing that they're they're happy so the notion is that there's a level of error that's significant it's a portion of the ball um that is expected in this and the umpires themselves are actually watching the ball cross and waiting that beat to process that information they're taught their timing and to make their decision now they, there's things we don't like about what the umpires do for sure but this notion that it's ground truth that, that, as what to Wayne's point is, it's not true. It's like that. That's if we take that as gospel, which is basically what we did in our on our in our paper. It's like if if this is right, this is what it looks like. But we, it's not. And then the second part is to what Jeff was saying was what what's the strike zone? Like what on earth is the, the where where is the top and the bottom of the strike zone? When is it set? Well, there's two other yeah. things to that. It's a mm -hmm. When we left out of the article was the thing that I was trying to point out, which was that there are a lot of really smart analysts. And what I noticed was they all have a different version of a standard strike zone. <laughs> and so that goes back to even when you're seeing the box on TV, 
who set that zone? Did they set it right? You know, there's an error. There's a chance of error. Whoever set that. People forget there's a, a human setting it, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's not as simple as it looks. So even if it were there, but, mm. it, it, but even if the tech worked, well, well you know. Well, I think the tech is pretty good. It just, yeah, but it's not just not quite good. There. It's not good yeah. for. It's not suited for a live game. It's phenomenal for what we do. I mean, we're all we all use this information, and it's phenomenal. It's actually created my business. Probably created Harry's. It's fun to work with. It's it's really useful. It's just not suited for game calling yet. Yeah, it wasn't designed for that. Yeah, right. It like literally was not designed for that. And like pitch effects, the fact that they could use it for the umpire grading after the game does. But even that was an afterthought. Well, and and that's not fair because you have a machine grading a person, but who 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 measured the machine? How do you even know the machine was right? Yeah, that's and what's funny is we've actually did some stuff for Sport Vision that showed them even that their calibration system would sometimes say calibrated successfully, and you'd look at the actual imagery that they use, like the uh, like over and overlay where the foul line should be versus the actual foul line on the camera. And we're like, look, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, even if it's even if stuff is passing its operational gates, they're still producing errors. Even the well-calibrated, smoothly-running pitch FX systems that were in for eight years required fresh sets of recalibrations from Dan Brooks's algorithm every game. Like, mm-hmm. you, you you can detect change almost every single game. Yeah, and for, player de- and for player development in particular, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's still phenomenal data. But for a game... You know, like you said, it's it's not designed for that. You know, yeah, so, and it's not proven. Yeah. So I want to I want to go back to something you said, Harry, um, where you talked about the the machine is not observing it; it's predicting it's it estimate. or it's, it's estimating, estimating it. Yeah, so it's projecting the flight of the ball. Can you talk <coughs> a little bit about how that actually works? Like, um, or, or Sean, maybe I Sean, would describe yeah. it better. Yeah. Well, um, the way to think about it for the most part, is that um, these radars, uh, I'm going to use the radar as the example because that's what I do during the day is radar engineering. But any of these systems, they're essentially, in the case of the radar, it's just sending out some kind of radio pulse and it's waiting for the bang to come back from the ball. And it has to do that, um, I think in uh, trackman's cases, it is a continuous wave, so it's more like a police radar in that it's continually sending something out and just continually listening. Um, but the the time that round trip takes and the time that they kind of need to shut it off for, let's say, processing purposes, um, doesn't exactly coincide with the entire flight of the ball. So at some point, they just need to start going, well, uh, we got to estimate, we got to do all this processing to localize where this thing is and get all maybe some of the other parameters out of it. And then after that point, you're just going to use maybe some baked in physical model, like maybe the one that Alan Nathan uh, has created uh, to kind of take over and do the rest, at least in real time. And then after that point, maybe later on, you can go back and reprocess the data. Uh, like what Wayne was saying, you know, you can go back and reprocess, but that's after the fact. That's not during the game. And that's certainly not even the thing that shows up on uh, your TV screen. It is an estimate of an estimate, honestly. 
Yeah, yeah, I think they got and they sped it up during the year. It was they were having definite troubles when they made the switch beginning of the year, but they made it better. But you know, with the pitch FX system, they literally don't measure the ball beyond like you know twenty feet or something of flight. And uh, what's the one? Is it Rapsodo that is just kept during the like the end of the flight, Jeff? You know, so every, all these things are partial, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. using physics and algorithms to figure out what the spin rate was. And sometimes they're capturing the spin and estimating the movement. Some capture movement and do spin. Some it's optical and radar. You can combine them. It's actually really complicated. And and, and Sean, you know, just kind of you know danced past the fact that you know just an engineer by day. I mean, this is you know an advanced field of study, and it has serious industrial and military applications. And if, when you when you look at it in that seriousness of light. You know, you don't just have to be a baseball guy like me to go, you know, this looks funny. It's like, no, yeah, of course it's funny. You know, that's what Wayne and and, and, and Sean are telling us. It's like, we know why this stuff looks funny. It's radio signals and there's interference and it bounces back and there's latencies and the algorithm is doing something that could be wrong. And what, what was it? Estimate on top of an estimate. That's basically right. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, you've got the information coming in from the machine telling you something about where the ball might be. Then you have software inside the machine to then interpolate that into something meaningful for us. Uh, so you have those, you have more than one chain of things that can go wrong from the setting of the zone to the data coming back from the measurement to the processing of the data to come up with something about the path of the ball. And then it has to go from that machine to another machine to display it on TV. Yeah. And, and those- displaying it on TV, they've got to also work backwards against the barrel distortion of the center field camera so that when they stick it up on the screen it looks right right you got you, you got your it's crazy yeah and it's so, so hard <laughs> it's, it's great technology it's just people it's tend to take it as that that's it that's absolute and the, the, the types of people who were at the early sport vision conferences were, were folks who like when we talk about the barrel distortion of the lens like the people who helped sport vision with that are the guys who have like developed the canopies for fighter jets mm-hmm. You know, it's like, this is like complicated stuff and it's going to be really, really, really robust and impressive, but it's not always going to work. Uh, and, and okay, so let's let's say we have this system in place and, we, and we're, we're using this umpire. This, this is one of the most common arguments. It's like, well, if the machine sometimes will just miss a call, right? You know, sometimes the machine just, you know, it only captures 99% of the pitches in baseball. So what are you about the other 1%? Oh, th- th- at that point, you just say, have a human backup. And... Uh, I, I don't. I honestly think that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I, I really think. I really think it ought to be just uh, umpires assisted by technology. You know, another input for them to consider. But I think there's good reasons why it won't work, and that's kind of why I want to ask Russell to join us tonight because there's a psychological aspect to these high concentration, highly skilled tasks, <clears throat> and doing it as uh, just and doing it without the regularity. Right. And, 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 and having, you know, you're, you're sitting there and basically, you know, even if it's 1%, what that's, what's that going to be a couple pitches a game, you know, at least if you're calling the, the game behind the plate, you get a pitch every 20, 20 seconds or so. And you kind of get that steady drip drop of stimulation. And that's how people function best. I mean, basically you're, I mean, you, you're basically having a guy possibly standing back there and just kind of, you know, standing there and going, huh, I'm just waiting for them to call on me um, without actually being really engaged. 
and how long can you really? I mean, I mean, Ed, with but with the thought in his head that you know at any point they might ask him, and I can imagine there's going to be that point where you know the Enrico Palazzo moment of strike. <laughs> you know, well, you know what I always see. Uh, is this is the best analogy I can give is like when the third base umpire or the first base umpire, which is less likely, the third base umpire is often checking out mm-hmm. and, and, Oh man, I didn't wake up for this left-handed hitter and there's a check swing all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And they, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll make their decision based on if I'm going to kick the call, mm-hmm. I'm going to flip a coin. I'm going to do it. So it's the call that doesn't end the at bat. So if it's two strikes, I'm going to say no. He didn't swing. That's hey, a good. You know? That's a good point because that's what the, they also, do. Seeing that's that like Juan Luciano, I think, or maybe it was in Bruce Weber's book. Maybe it was more recent, but there was. That's what umpires are kind of taught to do. It's like if you're going to kick the call, kick it into the direction that keeps the, the game continuing. Well, and I also think to kind of Wayne's point earlier, there's a really interesting study that was done uh, a few years ago. And I think there's a really good uh, article about it in The New Yorker, and it was about the effects of autopilot on uh, airplane pilots. And Russell, you may be familiar with this. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it talked about how the automation that autopilot provided them actually caused their, their underlying skills to atrophy. So it wasn't simply that they weren't paying as much attention. They weren't. But it was that when they were paying attention, they weren't as good as they used to be because they weren't keeping those skills fresh. Um, and that sort of thing was, is pretty interesting because I think to Wayne's point, you know, the potential value of the tool is to help coach and train to make the umpires even better at their craft. If you remove that responsibility from them, not only are they going to be less likely to perform well under pressure, uh, when the system fails, but maybe those underlying skills, the underlying ability does atrophy and does fade. Well, I was kind of changing my mind a minute there because what you just said earlier, which was it occurred to me that if an umpire is doing that, looking at the pitches over and over, watching the data on his screen, whatever he sees, he may be inclined to be trained by the machine. You know what I'm getting at? In other words, he may may develop a bias towards the machine, what the machine says. He probably would. I mean, if you get if because I mean, the uh, well, this I is why know, I want to use a feedback system. Well, this can is I, where I, I want to? Yeah. I mean, what do you I think by feedback system? Really, having a mind. I think part of it really matters on the details. I mean, are we thinking that this guy is going to be in New York watching the game? Are we oh. thinking this guy is going to be behind uh, the plate? Behind, is he going to be standing in, in the same umpire blazer behind the the plate? That's um, what I was thinking. Because I mean, if he's if he's doing that. If he's watching the game from New York and has a special camera or something like that, um, then 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 he might be trained by the uh, uh, and 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 maybe even I mean he he would of course see the um, you know I I guess it would you know they play a little song for strike or ball or whatever but and he might get trained by that based on that there's plenty of feedback right there Um, but I I actually have a a, a different question if 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 you guys don't throw anything in but um, my question is. Who the hell would would take that job? Being the backup. <laughs> be horrible. I mean, well, yeah. think about it. if you think about because you're gonna by definition you need someone who's going to know how to call yeah. a major league strike zone, and you need somebody who's going to be standing there in the same place that an umpire was. Well, that starts to sound like 
a major league umpire. So basically, what you're ta- you're saying is that we're going to take you, major league umpires, the you know the the guys who are already doing it. It's just that we're going to strip you of about ninety percent of your power, and we're just going to have you mostly stand there. And I don't know. I mean, I probably have to do, still do the safe out calls at the plate, but um, but at the same time, I mean, it's, you know who. How many of them would stick around at that point and and do that? And yeah, and, and because then if there's a prestige aspect well, of hiring, it's a home plate. It, that it's it's being a balls and strikes guy. Well, I mean, but yeah. yeah, but even even beyond that, I mean, you know, how many of them would would I'm sure they'd want they. Well, if if they, they didn't, they make, they make that too. well, if well, they didn't have to yeah. do, as, oh, if they didn't have to do as much. I think you would be able to get people to very easily do that job. To, to, you know, <laughs> but are they the people you actually want calling balls and yeah. strikes? You know, I mean, exactly. it, does it does it become kind of the a major you know a major league quote unquote umpire is now just the college student who's basically a stringer, but gets a really good view on the field, and um and and kind of comes over and and you know the same way that they they. Um, game day runs advertisements for stringers and says, you know, you have to be at the ballpark by this point. Um, but that's about it. Um, and but and you get you some college get, kid who does a part time. You also get a, get called on at extremely high stress situations that are kind of at random when the machine fails. So there's like that's that true. component where it's like, oh, um, have, these yeah. three calls. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, whoops. Hey. Oh, oh me? It's like yeah. long okay. periods of boredom punctuated by terror. It's like the worst. It's like the worst office meeting in in, in possible, and and it's and forty thousand people are watching you. Yes, and then they call on you. Yeah, but I, I mean, the whole thing just to me, like it, I, I just from a performance aspect, I think there's a, a concentration and like th- there's a reason the umpires like watch the pitchers' pitches when when they're warming up because they're trying to get used to seeing the guy's pitch and asking the catcher what does he have, mm-hmm. and they get and, you know. Those guys work really hard at tracking pitches. So I think they probably are more reliable by the time they get to the major leagues than these estimators that we have that are built for primarily for entertainment and uh, analytical purposes. Okay. So, but the whole thing everybody keeps talking about, I don't know why we don't do it. And they do it only in the grading afterwards and stuff. Why don't we fix the fact that the strike zone is misaligned side to side? both in terms of the righties and the lefties get a different zone. Depending on what batter box you're in, you will get a different location for a strike zone. And the strike zone expands and contracts with, with balls and strikes mm-hmm. as the count goes. So if you had the feedback system to the umpire, you would start breaking the, that kind of what's naturally part of baseball is like the benevolence of the umpire, where it's like, if it's two strikes, I'm not going to punch you out unless it's really a strike. And if it's ball, if it's three zero, I'm not going to call ball four unless you really miss the strike zone. So there's a certain like, how is that come? How important is that to baseball? What would happen if we rapidly changed it, or what would happen if we just said we don't like that and started giving the umpires in game, real time, discreet, not visible to anybody, feedback on if a ball was off the sides of the plate. So just forgetting about somebody- top and bottom. There'd be somebody in Joe West's ears or C.B. Buckner's ears going, Joe. <laughs> yeah, just like a little, you know, a little thingy in their pocket. Maybe. A little like, sack. A, you know, <laughs> you know, like a we'll shot call. Strike. Oh, my God. Steer. Well, 
But you yes. guys thought of something really, really interesting, and we touched on it a bit, which uh, I've been working with FlightScope as well, and they've been testing with the minor league academy uh, with, with umpires using FlightScope. And it, it kind of occurred to me during this whole conversation that with umpires using that as a training tool, they have a fixed zone, and they're trained by how well they call that zone. I think they're getting kind of, uh, how would you say it? They're kind of getting trained to call a robot zone. Yeah. If the, if, yeah, if we, yeah, if we, if we use the vernacular robot zone to talk about a static zone where yeah. the corners exist and it doesn't change because it's 10th inning and it's, and on my dinner reservation, my God, um, then yeah, cool. let's call that a robot zone. But I don't want the robot calling it. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, that's the difference, right? Like I think that that, and I don't know how anybody else feels really about that, but that to me seems very reasonable and and something that could be more reliable to have a human calling a zone that was regular and standardized but um or, now or on, yeah now you're hitting on the thing i would i would love is to have a fixed strike zone for everybody for analysis for games everything so even like forget about the, the what about top and bottom are you even going that far same, same for every hitter no matter what wow that would, so, that would that would make analysts and player development and games all line up perfectly. Well, so okay. then, then this would align with something that I, I had actually talked to uh, Jeff um, earlier in the week about because I realized once this article had published, I was like, "Oh no, there's another sport analogy I could have thought of." And I'm a I'm a cricket fanatic because I am a weird person who enjoys every bat and ball sport. But um, the analogy that I kind of thought of was that if you know cricket or if you've ever seen cricket and gone, what the hell is that? Uh, you would realize that they have, you know, a set of three sticks that are behind the batter. Yeah. And that is the equivalent of a strike zone in that if the ball hits those sticks or in uh, there's a thing called leg before wicket, which basically is you're not allowed to block the sticks unfairly with your leg and not try to like swing, swing at the ball as it comes in. So they need to have, uh, they have sort of a robo zone, as it were, where they try to determine, if not for this guy putting his knee out there, would the ball have crashed into those sticks? Yeah. But they do that very specifically. So first of all, you have to, the players have to ask, we want a challenge. So it's fairly infrequent. It needs to remember all those things we talked about, about what estimates what, and is it, you know, actual measurement or is it estimated trajectory? It does that for the ball coming in, hitting the ground, getting off the ground, and then heading towards those sticks. And then there's three possible outcomes. It's either called an out immediately by the video umpire. It's not out. Because for whatever tolerance, it's going to clearly go way above the sticks and not touch them at all. And then the last option, and I don't think we've, we, we really hit on this yet, is umpire's call. So that denotes when the ball is within, at least to the measurement tolerance of the system, within about a half a ball width. And so that's the most important bit. That if the system is uncertain, the system, at least in cricket, throws its 
you know, arms up and goes, I don't know, you tell me. Mm-hmm. And so the question I think I would have about even, you know, minor league or minor league umpires getting trained on this robo zone is where's the, I don't know, you tell me point. Um, especially when we talk about the top zone, is that, does that mean we want them actually calling a 3d zone or are we cool with them just doing the 2d zone that has been shown that they perceive in a 3d zone? Um, just, you touched on it in the article, but a 3d zone would be if the ball enters this 3d kind of box, which is like the front of the plate to the back of the plate and the sides of the plate at any it's point a full square it's at not, any don't point. cut yeah don't taper off the corners like the plate does in the back it's it's a square right right so can i talk about my favorite potential abuse of the robo zone because i think this is so fun and it's like completely ridiculous but i love it okay so <laughs> if we <laughs> if we had let's say we're using a completely computer called zone right the the robo zone and we're using a, th- a 3D zone. Um, there's nothing that's stopping like you, Darvish, from throwing like 40 EFIS pitches in a right. game that yes. happen to drop through the top of the zone. Yeah, a slow pitch softball, man. Yeah, totally. So suddenly, robo umpires like, nope, that was deep. That's not a call. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't the thing but I think him be the, the big guy with the bat. Yeah, it's like you know. Matt Stairs is actually leading off, and it makes sense. (laughs) He's like 50, but no, trust me. Well, I just feel like, you know, if you're you, Darvish, and you come out there and you throw like a 95-mile-an-hour four-seam fastball, and then you throw like an underhand lob that enters the top of the strike zone, A, it's not really like an angle on the pitch that's easy to hit, and B, the batter's going to be like, dude, come on, you serious right now? The knuckleballer strike zone, as best as we can tell, is shifted way up. So that's kind of funny, isn't it? Think about why, because the ball is kind of slow. It's slower. So I think I think this this would be totally doable <laughs> because the it's it's already kind of reflected like it, that it changes the way the batter like the, when the ball is moving that slow the the umpire the human umpire it changes their perception so it, it they won't call certain strikes mm-hmm. totally and I think so my whole point of bringing up this completely ridiculous hypothetical situation is I think that if you're going to make the call for, you know, robo umpires or whatever, you want, you know, a little box behind home plate that lights up green for strikes or red for balls or whatever. um, You know, you have to think through all the implications, all the potential abuses of the system, all the ways that the system can, you know, fail or can be, you know, leveraged in an inappropriate way. And, and we we touched on this a little bit with sort of the CD side of things with hacking and that sort of thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have to plan for all of those eventualities because if you don't, you're you're going to run into something where it's like, I mean, this happened with the catch rule a couple of years ago where guys were like kind of dropping the ball on purpose to turn double plays and league was like, Oh, just kidding. That's, that's not the rule anymore. Like we changed it on Tuesday. You know, you, you want to avoid that situation. And I think if you don't reconcile, and, and, also, these you, and you also lose that ability to suddenly change how you umpire when it's, it's 30, it's 30 well, hardware software systems that need to be rolled out. Right. Yeah. Instead of just a memo going to don't do that. Yep. Um, I, also, if I'm just like at my gigantic mid seventies uh, tobacco in my, and it's like, 
in my golf ball sized tobacco wad, what if I spat that out through the zone as the ball was crossing, sending two <laughs> objects through the zone and founding it? Oh, do over. Well, that's what we took out of the article, which was something we were pointing out, which was that something similar about gaming the zone is that if there were a robozone, it was set by something optical so that the top and bottom of the zone were set by an optical machine. Well, wouldn't players try to develop ways to game that system, how they stand, maybe their uniforms, you know? Oh, yeah, man, in ways we can't imagine. Suddenly, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we're going to uh, use a certain uniform color <laughs> that's confounding to the system. Yeah. Or, or, or we're going to stitch our we're going to stitch our numbers really low because we know so, they use the numbers as a. You get into suddenly you get into some crazy things. Yeah, special kind of start so that your knee looks like it's lower. You yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> if, yeah, I mean, if if there's a way to cheat the machine, they're going to find it. Right. So there's the point no of the article. Right. So the point of the article was to say, hey. Before we get robozones tossed on us or forced on us, let's kind of flush out all these different ideas and problems, and and maybe maybe there's a way to make it work, but uh, there's just a lot of problems got to be thought through. Yeah, it's true, and I don't think it would be better today. That's like that. That's one of the things that people keep saying. Is, oh, it would be better right now if it's right 98% of the time. No, they'd, they'd, be, they'd, they'd be it's complaining not. as we put in one. I think we took it out. I was saying that uh, you even have different versions of software. So let's suppose there's versions 8 and uh, and they have version 7. So they're going to be fans complaining, oh, geez, that's a strike all day with version 8. You know, <laughs> In Windows 95, that was a ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> those are the kind of things that will come up. Blue um, our umpire just blue screened. Oh no! This yeah. is reminding me of like you know online gaming and and the various rule sets and you know changes that they make to to do game balance and that's the thought of MLB, who already has oh. their own tenuous sort of um, relationship with uh, consistent uh, digital analysis and software. Which had a tenuous relationship with you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's the wrong <laughs> But I think it's healthy when people are all looking at it from different angles and discussing it, not screaming at each other, but discussing. I think that's when things move forward in a good way, you know. And then there's probably ways to do this that we haven't thought of that we're not smart to think of. But oh. instead of, but I, I said this earlier, I guess today, but to someone. The, this proof by vigorous assertion isn't going to go like this. I'm sure this is better than the human umpire. It does that doesn't make it so. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like I'm happy to see compelling evidence that this will be okay. Why? Because it, it'd be great. Why not? I mean, it makes sense. This when someone put it. If you were designing the game today, yeah, you know, and this is a worthwhile thought exercise. You wouldn't do it. You probably would. We'd come up with something along what, what Sean kind of described at cricket. You would draw from these other things. And come up with a best of breed solution, and right. it probably okay. wouldn't be today. But the batter hitter dynamic is such a cultural thing in baseball. Um, so can I nitpick two things? I think we did hit one of them already. The the estimation part. We didn't really talk enough about that in the article. So that may have been a bit of a disservice to the readers that we didn't give them the opportunity to realize as much as they should make it salient enough that we don't trust this measurements are not ground truth as regularly as you would imagine they would if you're relying on them for this purpose. 
Mm. And then we kind of confuse people with the 3-2 thing, <laughs> that line about, even if it's just one call, you know, and people are like, no, who cares? I can take that one call. And, and Well, one guy I, was saying something about, well, what's the big deal? And I said, well, even if it was 0.01% missed calls, like like no data at all, out of, uh, I think Harry said there were 720,000 pitches last year in MLB, that would be 72 times in the year that the umpire or whoever robot which just go um, crickets, 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 you know? So that's like once every other day in baseball. Yeah, that, I think that would be intolerable to people. Yeah, I think it's like, a maybe point. on Sports Center. They'd be like, it happened again today. Yeah, and that's only at a 0.01% rate, you know? That's such yeah. a great point because people are like, oh, it's 99.9% accurate. Well, you know, that sounds great in theory, like to our, you know, Piddly little human. Yeah, all the screw ups. Yeah, piddly little human brains. That's like great, but when it, when the reality is there's seven hundred thousand pitches a season, you know that's a lot of messed up calls. If my nightmare solution like, situation is like there's like a rain storm or electrical storm that you know there's get you know, because we've seen parks oh the lights went out and came back and the delayed play and oh wow we did a hard reset on the radar box or the computer or something. Uh, and we got to play the ninth inning, and it's going to rain again, and this team's going on the road. We can't wait around for the freaking you know guy from Geek Squad to come up, you know, and fix it. So, <laughs> or or just somebody, have this, or, the college stringer right there. Have, yeah, exactly. You really do, our equipment guy used to umpire American Legion ball. Come on, call balls and strikes in a major <laughs> league game. Yeah, I mean, I think that, the, that the to case... me is like the utter nightmare, and you can't really go, go back. I, I think the case that that you're making is that even if. Even if you want to say, and and maybe if you did some kind of grounded test, I mean, in, in some way yeah. where you said the you know the, the 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 machine is better, I think the the case that you're making is that that the human has a better fail safe, mm-hmm. in that the human can kind of can kind of plead humanity and say you know I because mean, humans are going to screw up, they're going to blank, they're going to miss you know they uh, can, you know false. They can read the players. Well, they can read the players, but they can, I mean, they can just yell strike or they can, you know, they can just totally kick the call. And we just kind of accept that as a, as a, as something that humans do. Yeah. Yes. Like this, and, this 10% human error rate might be okay. Right. It might be more acceptable than a 0.1% technology. I think one, a lot of these, like give me the robot up now may not have that, that the normal reaction is that, well, the technology should be damn perfect and it's not going to be. And it's also going to be different than what you're used to being called. So I think people would hate it. Like you'd satisfy these very vocal people who don't like the human ops. But I think you would be like, oh, my God, this is so much worse. Well, it changes, from, changes from the aesthetic of the game. Point of view. Changes the aesthetic, yes, it does. But That's from an operations good. point of view, I mean, just from getting the game going on, you know, if, if the machine screws up on a pitch, it does – I mean, maybe you could program it to say – you know, if if no data present, uh, you know, flip coin virtually. Um, but you know, I mean, well, I mean, well <laughs> you know, what, yeah, some guy comes down from the stands with an official coin, but, like a straw I mean, hat. But, but, I mean, we, we accept we accept that that's going to happen with human umpires as well. Um, but I mean, you, I mean, if if that was the way they programmed it, it would come out and people would go, no, you can't have that happen. And and okay, hu- but you know, we allow humans to do that, and there's there is a way to continue the game on without that awkward. Pl- I mean, what would you do if the machine? I mean, how would you literally carry the game on if the machine just blanked I out? Love, I saw these type. Of, okay, remember the stringers? I, I remember we saw the stringer in uh, at AT&T Park. They were like in in the player's garage. 
was their workstation. I'm not kidding. So I can just imagine some player getting like, you know, leaving the game, like some pitcher, he's, he's knocked out after three innings because the robot said, you've walked everyone. <laughs> and he leaves the game. And of course he's got access. And so he knows where the, he knows where the box is with the cables and the wires. He knows where, ha- Dave, I don't think you want to do that, Dave. <laughs> I, that's it. Well, John Lackey has gone down to the garage and, you know, suddenly, you know, and he's, chewing through the wires and it's like there's suddenly you know you there's also there's also another insidious part that we haven't touched fully on too which is uh in the machine software including the software that interprets the calls uh including the software that then takes that data and displays it to whoever's you know you know using the call there's always a chance to hack that and you can lay in wait until it's the just the right moment in the game and flip the switch to call it what you want. And no one would really know that. So MLB would really have to have a tight security on that whole change from the software and the hardware uh, to the, the readout machines, to the transmission paths, all of that. This would be a whole new take on the Russian judge figure skating joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, but well, there I was... Mean, a- well, you can hack an umpire. It's called $50,000 in cash. But, I, I am you know. positive people, though. I mean, it's not that hard to do. I mean, no. It's no. Well, uh, some guy can just be sitting there with this, you know, something. Just press this at any time you want, and it will call a strike. But yeah. Don't do it much. Yeah. Because if, if you keep doing it, they'll eventually be able to find your signal. But if you do it and leave, yeah. thank you. You're $10,000. And so I would rather think about that now before a system is, is comprised than, than, than when there's a problem, you know? That's what Marlin's man does. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's an agent. <laughs> he's a Russian spy. He's a Russian spy. Speaking of Russians, there was a, a story. I don't know if it's true or not. I just read months ago. It was a guy in charge of uh, the Russian uh, ICBMs, I think in the 80s. Yeah. And... The system told him that there was an incoming strike from us, mm-hmm. and all these missiles are coming in. And he just couldn't—he couldn't fathom that that would even happen. So he didn't do press the launch button on his end. It turned out it was a system glitch. Now, I think this was during the Carter administration. Yeah, I, I, and I, I, I think this is a true story. Yeah. I think the yeah. guy recently died. Yes, he, yeah, he passed so, away then. So they told that story again. Yeah. 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 So if that story is true, that's that's kind of. Part of along the line what we're talking about is that the machines aren't always right, and a human can make sense of things in ways that that are not not just programmed in, you know, the relative state machine type of thinking of a of a machine, you know. Ah, uh, Wayne, a man after my own heart. <laughs> and and oddly enough, in thirty something years of working in hardware and software, you think I'd be pro machine? Uh, <laughs> I am. I am. I just understand, like you guys, I understand. There are limitations, you know. Not everything's appropriate. Um, yeah, yeah. Every if you've ever had to run a production, if you've ever been responsible for the operation of any type of production computer software, you know, any type of software hardware system, as several of us in this conversation have, you know that yeah. something is going to go wrong. Yep. And unless you have the most high class, high dollar redundancy, you're, you know, you're going to have things go wrong pretty regularly. Especially like, for an event that's going on live, uh-huh. you know, in, you have in the fifteen cities, in fifteen different worlds. Well, yeah, right, the that's, show's got to go on. It can't be delays or. That's right. The show's got to go. Oh, there we go. I like that. That should have been the tagline for the article. <sighs> <sighs> See, so many regrets. 
<laughs> I, I do like your idea of using a random number generator in a software to kind of flip a coin, whether it's a ball or strike, if there's no data. The question is then, what's the, you know, you could get into a whole nother, we could write a whole nother article about pseudo random number generation. <laughs> what's the best way to do that? And yeah, that's should true. we use that lava lamp thing that uh, Cloudflare uses for their hardware randomization? Yes. Yeah, yes. I want lava lamps. Lava lamp umpires now. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite. That's like my favorite uh, Silicon Valley tech story that they're using lava lamps to uh, encrypt their data. That's like my favorite thing of all time. <laughs> well, this show must go on as well, guys. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, Jeff, Russell, Wayne, Sean, and uh, Harry, you're always here. But um, thank you guys for coming on. And um, thank you. we enjoyed the article and this conversation. So thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. Great talking to you guys. All right. Uh, and before I welcome you back, I just want to say that I had uh, a friend of mine ask me a question. He said, he said, on, a, on your podcast, why do you say stick around and then like play 20 seconds of some song and then say welcome back? And um, I did not have a great answer for him, but I'm going to keep saying it anyway. So thanks for sticking around. Welcome back. And um, thank you again to Jeff and Russell and Wayne and Sean for coming on and talking about robot umps. I enjoyed that. That was cool. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't had a call the whole time working on the project. Oh, is that it was right? All like chats and stuff. So that was like the first. So that, that was kind of fun. That was like the work. The work's done, and we can just you know laugh about it and oh, talk about what we can do better. That's so, cool. Yeah. No, I enjoyed that. That was good. So I wanted to talk also uh, again. So this pitching week at baseball prospectus um check it out uh but another thing that was written about um this was you and kate morrison kate? yeah and kate. anyone else jeff and jeff. jeff long um jeff's all about pitching week um he is this is true yeah. so you guys um released the different scores yeah, again. so this we, is yeah we touched well, on this, this is a, a while back this, a little bit Right. We talked about the making of the sausage, I think, on this. And right. so we didn't go ahead and, and release those things. And uh, so we did go command, which was a mix of your called strikes above average, your frameability for a pitcher. How good are you at hitting your spots? Uh, something we call cornering, which is your ability to hit a strike zone probability region, which is going to end. We'll have to change this when the robots come. Um, a point that starts at 50% strike probability but goes up or down based on the count and which type of pitch you choose to throw. So an O2 slider, your target's a maybe 25% strike probability. But on a 3-0 fastball, your target's probably like a 75 to 85% strike probability because you kind of want to be on the edges. Um, so anyways, it's the cornering idea and how far you're away from those corners uh, and also some little other details about if you did, weren't at the corner, what was your called strike probability? Were you missing towards the zone or away from the zone? 
and would penalize you a little more if you're missing away from the zone because it's better to throw a strike than a ball in the end. Uh, so that's out. We put that there. Uh, power. We did power rating, which is basically how hard you throw and how you know what's your fastball velocity. How often do you throw your fastball, and it, are your off-speed pitches on the hard side or soft side? Uh, so, and that worked out pretty well. It's like power relievers are make up the bulk of it, and then Chad Cool is the most power starting pitcher because he throws 60% of his pitches are, are a 96 mile an hour sinker and the, uh, the other 40% are 90 mile an hour slider and change. So he's way up on the scale on everything. Um, and so he wins and that doesn't mean he's better or were, it's just, this is what he does. It's, it's an assessment of his approach. So it's disconnected from results, but Right. It's, it's, it's the, a piece to But the analyze. macro level, it's connected to it. At the player level, it isn't. But the right. community, at the, right. the population level, it is. So it had to be a theoretically valid thing that we, in, in our opinion, and that had to pass some statistical relevancy. Um, and then the other one was stamina, which is the only one that doesn't use pitch tracking data yet. So it includes stamina, like how many batters do you face, uh, you know, and that doesn't mean you got outs, but you were able to face them. <laughs> um, and, you know, how often did you pitch? And could you pitch a lot, you know, relatively speaking? So basically, how much did you pitch over a six-day period on average, moving moving average through the season? Um, and, you know, how many guys did you face? And how many total plate appearance batters, batters did you face over the course of the season? Things like that. And days of rest, I think, was in there. So that one's cool, too. That came out pretty good. And what really... This is Kendall. This is what's cool about this stuff is like when you do something, you're like, I hope people find this useful. I saw someone's like, oh, the stamina stuff is going to be handy for fantasy purposes. All right. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't think of that. You yeah. know? And <laughs> so uh, with with all of these, we've got these for last year, right? Well, no, all the, those we scored all the way back to 2008. The whole system is based okay. on 10-year population and data. So the, the 100 is the best in our population not in the year or some idea we're going to have to change that because at some point that's going to break down. Yeah. Um, someone suggested making 100 a theoretical impossible to achieve ideal. And I kind of like that. Um, so like 115 mile an hour, hundred percent fastball. Okay. Sid Finch, congratulations. You have a 100 power score or all this chat 93. Sorry, bud. Um, so no, it is all 10 years. So you can see the development and aging of command power. So I, it, this stuff may be useful for our projections. I've actually yeah. asked the guys to start looking at that. I don't know if it's going to make it into this year because um, it's you know we've already got the book version, but we will change somewhat from the book version to the web version. That's going to come out next week. Um, <clears throat> no, I just whispered that. Yeah. Whoop. Um, uh, so with that, so are they? So when the season starts. Will we yes. at, will we be tracking this on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, I haven't exactly figured that out. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do it day one or day seven. That that's that's a that's a really good question. But it will likely be updated throughout the season, whatever interval that is. Or right, and like for example, we may use like the two two thousand seventeen 
data and just treat 2018 data on that scale that we've established for 2017 okay. until we've and we do that with the strike zone by the way you know like with the first few months of the season we we're using last year's strike zone and then we calculate the new strike zone in like may or something and then we change it again in july so Isn't that it's annoying just, it's just a sample size yeah, we just, yeah. yeah, you get, yeah, you get, you get better, better fidelity with more data. Since we're using this artificial endpoints of seasons, um, the more data you get with, so it's like too noisy uh, until like May or so to use that year strike zone. Um, although Judge says he has newer techniques that I will see. He's always got something up his sleeve. But then it's like, oh, it only takes nine hours a night to run. So if we just spin up another 15 servers with 18 cores a piece, we can have these jobs done by 10 a.m. No, no problem. Not, you know, no problem, man. Yeah, we'll just do that. Uh, so please buy a Baseball Perspectives subscription so we can fund Jonathan's servers. Yeah, for sure. Jonathan <laughs> will thank you for that, and we will too. Um, but yeah, you can find those numbers. There's a whole article about it. There's, uh, they're in the sortables. You know, so you can. I think we put them someplace in the sortable stats. Yeah. Um, we've created a new special report that has these things. Um, and we are going to produce the funk slash deception, maybe we'll call it, um, score and stuff scores. We're, we're going to do the two others. The goal is that that's the full package of five. So we are going to work on those other two and hopefully start having something to release, you know, before the all-star break, I would hope on that. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. It's very, very cool stuff. Um, the the pitching week has been chock full of new and exciting revelations from all sorts of different people. Um, definitely, thanks to Jeff for um, I think doing a lot of coordination of, of different parts of it. And uh, yeah, he's to, the driver. Yeah, yeah, to you too, Harry. Um, I. I your name is on a lot of those bylines as well. So I make them put, I just said, put my yeah. name on it. <laughs> yeah. Put me on there. Yeah. Put me on that one. Yeah. That yeah. one looks good. That one looks good. That'll that get a lot of cool. clicks. Sure. Whatever. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, and last year's tunneling article, we got nominated for the Sabre award. That's right. Congratulations yeah. um, to you and Jeff and Jonathan. Um, was it there? That was just the three. I think that right? I think, yeah. So, yeah. so um, congratulations, Sabre Awards. I think there's is that something that's voted on? Yeah, it's voted. You can vote at um, I'm not sure the, when the voting starts, but it they'll, they'll be voting at, like baseball reference. We'll have a cool uh, fan graphs and baseball prospectus. We will all we all work with them to collect votes. So you can come and vote at our site, those sites, wherever you want. Awesome. Well, yeah, and we'll um. We'll once tweet that out open. once that's open, um, if it's not open now. But we'll tweet that out. So again, follow us on Twitter. There's other like don't have to vote science. for us, man. There's some some really good work. Yeah. So y'all should check out the. Don't just go and like, oh yeah, that's no. Read the, read the other stuff. You might like something else better because this, there's been some good baseball research this year. So definitely check out the Saber Awards past years. We've been nominated in the past, everyone, but doesn't it's like just. It's really cool to be like in this stuff. It's like shows that the, the work's being appreciated at, by, on a pretty broad way. And so we're really pleased when we get th that recognition. And it's particularly exciting because I've had like different co-authors all the time. And so that to me is also pretty nice because it shows that um, despite what my kindergarten teacher might have thought, I do play well with others. No, um, that, that we've managed to like create a lot of different 
gather a lot of different points of view and have a lot of different people contribute. And I think that's why our work is getting stronger is because the diversity of viewpoints that we bring from different views of baseball and skills. So congratulations to to all the other nominees. But yeah, go vote for us. It'd be nice to win one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, that, that will wrap it up. Um, we will talk to everybody next time. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, if you think about it, rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, we will catch you later. Goodbye, baseball!